Hello, this is Ali Tabib Najad, the co-host of You Missed My Childhood, and I am showing up to talk before the music and before Jeff introduces the show to let you know that this is uh, an older episode that we never released. I believe it's our fourth recording ever, and we are releasing it now because I was too lazy, if you will, to uh, finish editing the very last episode that we recorded last week by the end of, uh, I guess, yesterday. And to my credit, we are on a bi-weekly basis, so I uh, expected to have two weeks to edit it. Uh, but that's why. And uh, uh, when I asked Jeff what else I should say, he had another message that I will just throw out there without uh, context, because he kind of sent it to me without any context. And it is this. Eat the rich. So, without further ado, here it is, uh, our episode about They Live. Hi there, welcome to You Missed My Childhood. The podcast where we take a movie that was popular from someone's youth and talk about it with someone who's just watched it for the very first time. I managed to mess up this intro every single time, but my co-host, not my host, and I just clipped hey. there, my co-host, <laughs> Ali Tabibnijad is with me, as always, remotely from Georgia. How are you doing today? I am okay. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> right. I, like if my... my bullet chest rating is any indication which it usually is i'm not as sharp and caffeinated as i want to be i think i dropped at least 50 points or 100 points i have day. no idea what that a bullet chest rating <laughs> what, what is that <laughs> oh so there's a system for rating you know chess players and you know if you oh play my God, someone you're talking about chess um, okay yeah so we don't <laughs> no no you've already started Let, let's let's dig this whole deeper. i have i get i get a so, you know, if I'm, like, rated 1,000 and I play someone who's rated 1,100 and I win, I get, like, you know, I become 1,010 and he becomes uh, 1,090 type thing. So that's how it roughly works. <laughs> Did that explain it all? And yeah, make yeah. It clear? That's uh, good enough yeah. for me. So so if that's low, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're lethargic. It's, it doesn't give you the boost you need. I haven't gotten the boost I need. I think I, I'm <laughs> just worried it. about my script and... Um, that's been weighing on me. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's maybe this is a time of year when, like, the time of the earth, the time of life, when, you know, things just tend to weigh on you. I have been exceptionally busy the last two weeks, which has been weird because for the last, uh, pandemic, I have been exceptionally non-busy. So this has been mm. <laughs> a solid change of pace. And nice. yeah, I mean, a lot of that is also like things weighing on me, like these big, big changes coming up in my life that I'm not quite sure like what to do about. Yeah, all I have is um, my scripts rewrite, which um, has to get fundamental and uh, mm -hmm. kind of raise things that I've already loved and established and whatnot. And um, and it also is like a financial matter. If I can get a backer, t even tentatively on at this point, I can buy more time from uh, uh, family. <laughs> and, <laughs> from fa uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Ali, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Right, right. Ali John. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, you know, you're still making time to watch a movie, so uh, this is going to have no financial benefit whatsoever for to you. So I'm glad that we're still <laughs> managing to do this. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, the movie we're going to talk about today is John Carpenter's They Live. Uh, so I just want to, I mean, the, the name John Carpenter must be somewhat familiar to you, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, wrote down horror maker, mm. question mark. Does he make horror yeah, movies? Yeah, he's definitely known for horror. He's kind of a kind of a director that's a little bit hard to define genre-wise because he definitely makes horror. He oh. makes some sci-fi uh, I would say that if there is a genre that would best apply to him, it's probably just cult director, cult filmmaker. Huh. I mean, that's not an accurate description because that doesn't actually exist, but just a lot of his movies do end up becoming cult classics, even if they're not. Like which ones? Uh, such as Halloween. Oh. Did you ever see that one? I can't put my finger on okay. it, so I'm guessing I didn't. The Thing, have you seen that? Where they're all based Definitely. in Antarctica? The 1960s version? It's a remake the... of that made in the 80s. Ah, I see. Yeah. I think I've seen that version. I don't know which version. I may, I may have seen all <laughs> okay. the versions except the new one. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and then, yeah, this one too. And then there's also movies, The Escape from L.A., Escape from New York, things like that. He did a Stephen King movie called Christine, mm-hmm. uh, a movie with Jeff Bridges called Starman. He, he was a super prolific director. Uh-huh. The escape ones, yeah. I mean, there's a certain like vein of campiness that goes through a lot of his movies, but at the same time, yeah. I think that he's a relatively respected director, and just kind of you know, movies of his have some clout, even if they're not like Oscar nominees or anything like that. Got you. Got if you. That makes movies, sense. Can movies yeah. have clout though? Mm, they can. They not have clout. I think people can have okay. clout. <laughs> <laughs> am, am I, am I a- anthropomorphizing movies too much? Right, okay. right. Yeah. Well, he has clout. <laughs> Fine. John Carpenter has clout. <laughs> His movies don't have shit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, uh, you, did you recognize any of the actors in this movie? Mm, no. No, uh, okay. The, the lady seemed pretty generic somehow like i've seen her before but i don't mm. she seemed mm-hmm. good looking enough that i feel like i should have seen her before but that's about it that's about it yeah so the main actor that people would recognize especially at the time was the uh the, the main the main actor uh his name is roddy piper or rowdy roddy piper he was a professional wrestler mm-hmm. Yes, I learned that this morning from my uncle. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah. I did. Yeah, so he was famous, uh, you know, and this was at a time, too, when, like, wrestlers were really becoming actors. You know, this was already done with Jesse Ventura. This was done with Hulk Hogan. Um, Mm. Who else is a wrestler that got famous and did acting? Oh, The Rock came later, of course, but... uh, did Andre the Giant? Andre the Giant, movies? yeah, with the Princess Bride, of course. Yep, that was the other one I was thinking oh, of. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so this is in that same era where, you know, wrestlers were as big as superstars as you get, really. And WrestleMania, the WWF, was just a huge, huge franchise that made all kinds of money and had a lot of people that were mm. super fans. So he was part yeah. of that. The only thing I think you would recognize him from was that he had uh, several episodes of It's Always Sunny where he played a wrestler in that called The Maniac. Really? Yeah. 
Oh wow, I should go check that yeah, out. Yeah, you should. Yeah, there's some fun YouTube clips. But yeah, um yeah, he was the maniac. And then another dude named Keith David, he was Frank, so that was uh the main guy the main character's co worker. Uh and kind of like yeah. the other protagonist of the movie, I guess. And Keith Supporting. Yeah. And Keith David was in all kinds of stuff. It seemed like mostly as a supporting actor or a character actor. I guess uh, John Carpenter worked with him all previously in The Thing. I think he's one of the main uh, characters in The Thing. Oh, I think you are right. Yeah. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and then and then Meg Foster, who was the woman, um, I did not recognize. And when I looked at her IMDb, it was things that I mostly haven't seen. So I couldn't place uh, her. Keith David, I felt like I could place. You know, he felt like a guy I've definitely seen yeah. and stuff. Meg Foster, not right. not as much. So, yeah, the essential plot of this movie is quite simple. Just a drifter comes into town. He's staying at a shanty town. And then there is this, this uh, conspiracy. There is this group of people that are trying to infiltrate the airwaves and tell people the truth about what is actually happening. And so he finds these special sunglasses after they're raided. Putting on the sunglasses, he exposes subliminal messaging. He exposes people that look like people to us. Once they have the sunglasses on, they look like ghouls or aliens. And they're trying to make us docile, make us uh, breed, and make us consume. We do a bad job of this, but uh, there are spoilers for this very <laughs> old movie. So <laughs> don't care about that right. if you want to listen to this. Uh, so there are lots of common themes here. And first, I want to kind of tie in these themes to where we're at in culture and where we're, we, where we're at maybe 30 years ago. So I th- say two big themes here are conspiracy and the media and maybe the media's part in conspiracy. So coming like from a different background than the U.S., what what's the first exposure you had to conspiracy theories? Whoa, conspiracy theories. Uh I uh don't know if people in Iran had uh enough um free time. <laughs> <laughs> it does take free time. Like, <laughs> they they had to like I don't know, fight to live a good life or in or any life at all. Um, I don't know if I heard any conspiracy theories or knew what they were, or maybe you're just not exposed to them as a child yeah. uh, until I was in the U.S. But that was the impression I had, that people just had enough to bitch about between the government and the ever-rising price of everything, which is always a theme in Iran, mm-hmm. um, to uh, to come up with conspiracies. Sure. So then when you came to the U.S., did you find yourself exposed to these pretty quickly? Oh, well, let me say this. I think um, the common dialogue in Iran revolves around how shitty the government is. And I think there's definitely some conspiracy worked in there where people are like, oh, yeah, the government did this and that, and they're thinking about doing the other thing. And um, so there is just enough oppression that maybe in the national dialogue, there's just a good 40%, 50% conspiracy theory mixed in. Where, and because of the, the opacity or opaqueness, I should say, of the Iranian government, it's not easy to challenge them, and nor are they too far from probable fact. So, hmm. yeah, that's uh, maybe that's my first exposure yeah, to conspiracy yeah. without really knowing sure, it. Sure, yeah. without really knowing it. And then when you came to the U.S., did you find 
more overt exposure and like kind of knowing that this is bullshit or like knowing that this is kind of a hackneyed idea? I feel like my, uh, maybe, I don't know if it was the first exposure to conspiracy theories, but um, the time that I kind of took them on and was bothered by them was when uh, I think I was living with you and there was uh, this guy we called Punk Rock Nick who was all into the revolution and fuck the system. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he had quite the following and those guys believed that their needs they were they called themselves anarchists um at least they didn't call themselves nihilists um but um they were anarchists and i was like no anarchy is not what you want you don't understand the consequences of uh you know just lawlessness but they were all about it um and i think this movie being kind of right up their alley annoyed me because of it. Okay, because of that. sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I I, I think that consp- for some reason the U.S. is just extremely fertile ground for conspiracy theories. Would you agree with that? I think anybody would. Yeah, especially as of late. Yes, especially as of late. But even back then, you know, at, at least it, it, the idea had started and. I'm not sure exactly why that happened, but I think it comes from having, you know, one, for one thing, a free media is somewhat important because you have to get these ideas mm-hmm. out. And then you also yeah. have to have enough of the population that's affected negatively, you know, enough of the population that's struggling because there's no need for conspiracy theories if everyone's doing well. These come yeah. from when people are struggling, when they're having a hard time and, you know, looking for someone to blame for their situation. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, the first time I, like, encountered a real conspiracy theory that I remember. I, I guess what's in my conscience is probably the uh, the conspiracy theory of 9-11. You know, how it was an inside job. Oh, wow. And it was at least, if not done by the government, at least was done in hand with the government. You know, they, like, turned oh. a blind eye to it. Yeah, I guess I was there for that, too. And I never believed in the uh, the conspiracies. Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, it turns out that, you know, do you remember who they were propagated by? The Saudis? No, Alex Jones. Wait. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. I thought you meant the attacks. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Bin Laden? (laughs) No, Alex Jones, he took down the trade towers. You don't remember this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no kidding. I didn't know it was Alex Jones. Yeah, yeah, and there's actually like movies, uh, the movie that kind of reminded me of this movie called Waking Life. Did you ever see that movie before? I did, but it was recommended to me by this girl that I wanted and couldn't get, so I never finished it. I think I Oh, you never finished it. I may it. have. So, no. I started it several times but I never finished it, yeah. But yeah, so there's an there's a theme in it about how we're all sleeping and we're not awake to like the real consciousness of what's actually happening, and that's both a literal and metaphorical uh, theme that goes throughout the movie because it talks about things such as dreaming and lucid dreaming and waking up in your dreams, but also waking up in your life itself. Hmm. But then it has a lot of dialogue, or I shouldn't say dialogue. Uh, dialogue is that the right word? I don't yeah, dialogue done by uh, a person who. <laughs> I think when I was 20, in my 20s, sounded rational, uh-huh. but then that turned out to be Alex Jones as well. No kidding. So, wait, Alex Jones is in Waking Life? He's in Waking Life, oh, yeah. He's, he's originally from Austin, so Linklater, I think, had him maybe also in Slacker, too. Like, they, he was featured in a couple... I mean, this because 
This is also a change of how conspiracy theories are viewed because at the time of this movie, they were more of a leftist thing, and now you could argue that they're mostly a right-wing thing. Right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, okay. The left-wing nuts are still out there, though. But yeah, definitely. Of course they are. Yeah. Of course they are. But I think that, well, we can get into this later, but you know, you could argue that conspiracy theories have become a mainstream view for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, at least, I don't know, is it like 70% of Republicans who still support Trump or some such thing? Yeah, this is funny because, you know, this is not designed to be a political podcast, but I think that, especially when you watch something like this, you, you would just have to be completely in the dark to not equate this to what is happening now right. and to what has happened in the past. I mean, it's just so overt mm-hmm. uh, and... It's really, really funny how the way you view this movie probably has changed over the years. Um, So with that in mind, let's start talking about what actually happens in this movie. So I mentioned the drifter coming into town. We know that this is a hard time for a lot of people. And what's one of the first ways that we learn that this is probably not the best of economic times for for at least the group of people that we're introduced to in the beginning? Uh, The... Main character said something like they lost 14 banks. I don't know what that meant, but I feel like <laughs> it uh, <laughs> It was... Uh, I, I don't I, know what that means either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was not sure what you were laughing at. So <laughs> I lost my train of thought well, thinking about that. Well, I was laughing at the 14 banks thing too, because I also wasn't quite sure what what that meant. Uh, yeah. So when he goes to a... Uh, I don't know, I guess a work agency or some such thing, uh, like unemployment office. They tell him they don't have anything right. for him. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, we lost 14 banks or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, and we hear with a loudspeaker that like the food service program or like the food stamp program is being discontinued or something of the sort. Oh, do we? So I remember we just get that, the sense but... that, yeah, there's this, yeah, yeah. I wonder if I wrote down exactly what it's saying. But essentially, yeah, yeah there's a problem with the food stamp programs of, uh, of some kind. Okay. And then we see a street preacher on the street who's just talking about how everyone's blinded to the truth. We're worshiping greed. And then he yeah. does get a job at a construction site. Right. At the next to the preacher, that, I've written repetitive yeah. theme as in... <laughs> repetitive theme. Yeah. I When it came on, like I think after the fight, I was like, oh, God, I come on. Enough with this. Yeah. But that yeah. theme is... And to repeat the shit out of it, I was like, play a ton of that. Yeah, yeah. It kind of has like a western sound to it, It you know, like uh, those old spaghetti westerns. And I think it's, you know, in some ways, the main character. So, did you catch his name, by the way? No, I saw it. in like a casting list after or cast list afterwards as George Nada. Mm-hmm. John Nada. George Nada. No, John. <laughs> you saw a weird list. <laughs> huh. Okay, let's see but, what IMDb has to say about this. I have to Google it now. Go ahead. Okay. Um I'm just writing down <laughs> more more editing times. Why? <laughs> this is okay okay is, is this good because we have to settle this before we can move forward and 
Yeah, we do. We do. See. Um, I mean, so they... mostly I saw him credited as just Nada, but then in the several articles I read, they also said his name is John Nada. Although watching the movie, I don't think there's anything that you're ever going to hear that's going to pick you up on that name. Uh, I don't believe his name is mentioned even one time. And of course, Nada means nothing in Spanish. So I think that's a pretty overt choice that the director made. Yeah, so if you Google this, IMDb actually doesn't have a first name for Roddy. Just Piper's has him as Nada. Just has him as Nada, but um, mm-hmm. the first thing, maybe it's like the Google answer to everything, it lists it as uh, George Nada. Weird, because I came across John more than once. Hmm. Several times, I never saw George. Anyways, we'll just call him Nada, because that's... Okay, uh, fair enough. I mean, that's I also... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of so, that. I'm like, we a- have to figure out the first name because how are we going to do this podcast without? <laughs> well, you know, they figured out without calling my first name for the whole movie. So right, that tells enough. you something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyways, where was it going with this? Oh, yeah. So he gets a job. Um, he gets a job. He's with another uh, guy that also has been displaced, a guy from Detroit. Talks about how, you know, the steel companies, somehow they gave them a break, but then the steel companies just gave themselves raises. So that's part of the reason why he's now in Los Angeles instead of being in Detroit, forced from his uh, good job before. And then he ends up taken to like a shantytown area. I think this is kind of a, you you know about Skid Row in downtown LA? I do because I watched um, this documentary on the um, Cecil Hotel, which I recommend. Oh, cool. I was thinking about checking that out. Checking yeah. Out, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So this is kind of like a skid row area and they have, you know, like a soup kitchen set up. They have like various ramshackle tents, which are mostly just kind of tarps set up for people to sleep. And then across the street is a church and there is a leader we introduced to pretty quickly or he comes across as a leader named Gilbert and he's kind of the main guy that's walking around the soup kitchen walking around the shanty town making sure that everyone's okay but then he's also what was his name again the uh Gilbert Gilbert okay yeah which i also didn't really catch in the film but then i found out later when i was reading about the film yeah so yeah there's a church across the the way and uh the, the main character Nada he gets suspicious because he notices People going in and out of the church at weird hours, like four o'clock in the morning. And so, what's actually happening at this church? They are uh, interrupting TV broadcasts and tr- and putting in their own message about you know how screwed up the world is, and probably trying to you know tell them, uh, hey, we're you have been taken over by aliens, but you never actually hear that from the. Uh, no. Yeah, because I would imagine they're waiting for the reveal with the glasses. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, somebody mentions uh, when uh, when Nara goes in to kind of investigate what's up there, somebody says, we can keep making Hoffman lenses for uh, until, I don't know, we are blue in the face? No, he doesn't say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, essentially, that, that's such right, a yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but we have to do this or that. Um, so... Hoffman lenses. They have uh, a tape running to make it look like there's choir practice going. and Totally. Yeah, but otherwise they are messing with the TV signals. 
So we should mention there's actually in this shanty town there is there are TVs set up throughout, right. and that's kind of something that I thought that was kind of funny. Right. Uh, so do you want to play a clip really quickly of what is happening? So just to give a little bit of a setup here, this is they're watching TV, and then a very normal commercial comes on. There's a lot of commercials, fake commercials in this movie, and they're almost always kind of like bourgeoisie, upper class things. Just impulses are being redirected we are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep oh goddamn hacker that second time night that asshole's cut in the movement was begun eight months ago by a small group of scientists who discovered quite by accident the signals being sent through Okay, that's good. Yeah, this guy might as well be Nick, and I just wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> Not that I ever wanted to punch Nick in the face. I mean, it's funny you, it's funny you equate him with Nick, because I equate him with, like, an Alex Jones figure. Oh, yeah, that's probably more productive. <laughs> more more productive? I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's like a better object of uh, anger. Than... Derision? <laughs> right. The, yeah, yeah. I mean, although, you know... Again, in this movie, like, this guy is uh, supposedly speaking about the truth, but, you know, this guy keeps on cutting into the broadcast and everyone, and you hear the drifters talk about, damn, hackers? Like, what's what the hell's going on? Why does this keep on happening? And so we found out this is actually being controlled by the church as well. There's a large satellite over there, and they're the ones that are actually doing the this uh, so, quote-unquote hacking, hacking of the broadcast. Um, so we find very shortly after this, there's a police raid, I guess the police are tipped off somehow. They demolish the church. They demolish the shanty town. Oh, before all that happens, of, though, I think. Yeah. Uh, John. No, it's after. It's after. He does notice a bunch of boxes hidden away uh, before yes. this happens. But then the that police raid. The, right. Happens. Tons of boxes. Yeah. And he notices there's, there's sunglasses too. They're like like the production line, like a chemistry set with sunglasses yeah, at the very end yeah. of them. Yeah. Exactly. But anyway, you were saying with the with the. Um, cops come in and yeah so the place is raided and then so nada hides away and then right after everyone's gone he dips into the church because he knows something's going on there and then he finds the glasses he runs away and then he puts on the glasses and now this is part of the visualization of this movie because a lot of this you can't really play a clip of but uh what happens as he puts on these glasses and walks around town so he uh sees advertisements differently uh, like an advertisement for something or other just says obey one word <laughs> right. or um, submit or what sleep or um, mm-hmm. something having to do like a TV I think it was a TV thing no it wasn't a TV thing it was an ad that had uh, that relied on sex appeal and it said like uh, obey and reproduce or something and reproduce marry and reproduce there you go marry and reproduce yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like the opposite of subtlety in uh, critiquing <laughs> culture. None. <laughs> yeah. There's even a point where a guy has money, and then when he looks at the money with the sunglasses, the money says, "This is your god." <laughs> right. Right. And uh, of course, he also sees some people as these weird, uh, I don't know, creatures that have. Um, big old eyes and ugly faces and uh, definitely non-human looking creatures. 
Who was the most famous person that he saw as one of these alien ghoul creatures? The president? Yeah. <laughs> Just in case you're missing out on the point, um, there's a there's a scene where he's watching TV, and it's pretty obviously Reagan. You know, Reagan's talking about oh. the new morning in America, and I, I believe it's Reagan at least. Yeah. No, um, I feel like that's me missing culture, not uh, not you uh, being wrong about who it is. Oh, sure, yeah. Well, you know, part of Reagan's whole campaign, maybe his first or second, was about the new morning in America. Do you know about that? I've heard, you know, I've heard that expression, but uh, I missed the time when that was a thing. Oh, of course, yeah. But, of course, Reagan is one of these alien ghoul people, and he says something like, ah, I should have known that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. And then right afterwards, he he goes through a series of insulting women that uh, are aliens. Do you remember, like, one of the insults he has? Oh, they were just, uh, like... Your mama's so ugly, or <laughs> type things. <laughs> yeah, totally. He told one woman, "Looks like your head fell in cheese dip in 1957." <laughs> and then he called her formaldehyde face. Yep. <laughs> yep. Another woman, like, so they have these watches that they can call in. Like the aliens have these watches that they can call in if anyone, if they, you know, suspect anything suspicious. We also learn later that they have also. These watches can help you exit a bad situation, make you kind of disappear. Yeah. And one of these ladies calls him in and says, I got one that I can see. And he's like, <laughs> mm, you're like pouring perfume on a pig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So this is the part where he just starts killing people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, it was, it kind of came out of nowhere, but, and I it was like, really... oh, so he just became a murderer of shit. Okay. Yeah. Super quickly. And so I guess the whole premise is that these are not actually people, but, you know, the first people he kills or the first uh, creatures he kills, the ghouls, are the cops. Yeah. And he's able to see that they're not actually people via the glasses. Okay. Okay. So, I, d- I wasn't sure about that. So I'm I'm, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, you're happy to hear that they weren't actually people? Right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't believe. No, they were police officers, um, but they were police officers that were actually ghouls or aliens or whatever you want to call them yeah well they and are established later that they're aliens so we can call them aliens right or was i not supposed well, to say that the, re- the reason i keep on using both is that john carpenter the director referred to them as ghouls oh but okay. i i think aliens is probably you know more understandable to most people and that's what you would assume by watching the movie especially he... when you start seeing that there's actually flying saucers did he refer to them as ghouls in the credits I don't remember. I don't think so. Just when he was talking about the film, oh, he called okay. them ghouls. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't think it was anything official. Just interviewing, he called them ghouls gotcha. and things like that. Okay. But uh, so this leads quickly to the most famous line in the movie. Have you ever heard this line before? Do you know what line I'm referring to? I do, to? and I uh, yeah. was going to ask if this came from this movie or if it was a thing before this- that. This came from this movie, and it actually came from Roddy himself. It wasn't written in the script. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Yeah. (laughs) So you said he came up with it? Yeah, he came up with it. Yeah, I believe that day he came up with it. You know, I mean, like part of being a wrestler 
is having these one-liners, right? Ah, uh, yeah, I would imagine. We see that so often at WrestleMania, and then, you know, lots of the action heroes of the time were very, very one-linery, so mm-hmm. they always had to say something before they started killing people or before they started saving people. Huh. And, yeah, this is no exception. So this is one of the, one, one of the one-liners that he came up with. That's um, amazing. And it's not only the most iconic line in the movie, but it's one of the most iconic lines in movie history. Wow! For some reason, I I don't know. Like, <laughs> d- 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 I mean, does it strike you as a line that deserves the the fame it has gotten and the and the uh, the longevity mm. it's gotten? Well, I guess it's not up to my judgment. I yeah I you know I like the line, um, and I can see why it got yeah. Big, I wouldn't say anything I, bad about it. It's yeah. just. F- it's just funny what ends up sticking, you know? Yeah, like I exactly, exactly. Imagine That's what I meant. that would like, be, yeah. Like I would have never guessed that this would, if I had seen it at the time, that this would become a thing repeated over and over in other places. But yeah, it did. Totally. It's like pr- trying to predict what goes viral these days. You never know. Yeah. And so I, th- I think in my notes I wrote like this escalated pretty damn quickly because <laughs> this is when he just goes into a bank and just starts <laughs> shooting at, yeah. uh, you know, aliens. Right, right. <laughs> And so after this, he's of course on the run. He kidnaps a woman, ends up at her house. Um, he's trying to tell her what's up. You know, if she of course is very, very afraid. Do you want to play a clip of the little bit of their interaction? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but I needed you to get away. <sighs> no. You have two guns. You're not sorry. So sexy. You're in charge. Mm-hmm. Look, lady, we're in trouble. <laughs> the whole world's in trouble. They're all around us, and we never knew it. You can only see them with these special glasses. I swear to you, we're being controlled by these things. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we got to stop them. All right. I'll do whatever you want, whenever you want. Just don't hurt me, please. So rational. So, so who is this lady? Where does she work? She works at a TV station. Yeah, uh, the one station we kind of hear reference to called Cable 54. Yeah. And what does she do? Does she, like, put on the glasses? Does she believe him? No, she pulls a really, like, out-of-nowhere move with a bottle, <laughs> wine bottle, and, like, throws yeah. the guy, like... <laughs> <laughs> down this like humongous hill totally yeah i rewatched that twice and i still wasn't quite sure what happened there i know right she like like i guess she like kind of smashes the bottle over his head but somehow that also makes him fly out of the window <laughs> and then down the hill <laughs> definitely thought like okay so sh- this movie this movie this lady has like self-defense training or something like i almost expected her to uh show back up in the movie and keep doing that kind of thing like <laughs> there's a backstory like oh when i was a child somebody attacked me mm. and you know yeah i went and learned i don't know okay i'm, I'm done with that <laughs> that thought you know with that tent yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he's on the run i mean he's like one of the most wanted people in the city at this point because he's seen as a person that just blew away a bunch of police and then went into a bank and shot a bunch of people so, you know, the kind of person that uh, <laughs> you, you don't think you want running along around on the loose. Uh, he goes to the work site and tries to talk to Frank. Frank doesn't want anything to do with him. Right. But then later on, he goes... So, one of the things that's established pretty early is that he takes one of the boxes of sunglasses. And for some stupid reason, he hides it in a garbage can in an alley. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, it wasn't until he came to find them again and they were gone that I uh, doubted that idea. But it seems like oh, really? you did. Right away, I was yeah. like, uh, garbage gets picked up. I don't know. That's not the most secure spot. <laughs> no, I definitely didn't think of that. But fucking A, you were right. Yeah. Yeah, the garbage was actually being picked up, right. but he managed to get in the truck. He managed to open the back of the hatch somehow, get in the truck, <laughs> find the box of glasses. And then for some reason, the garbage just all he dumped him and all the garbage oh, on the Oh, I know. I know. I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun tangent. Like, he needs to figure out how to get out of this thing. But then. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Made, they just, made it easy for him. It just yeah. crushed him. Or, I mean, it didn't crush him. I thought it was going to crush him. Or yeah, like, because take him he, the he dump. said something like, oh, no. You know, I know. And then it was like, oh, well, this is exactly what you wanted, man. Yeah, the best thing that could possibly happen <laughs> right. in that situation. A little plot yeah. shortcut there. So talk a little bit about the next thing that happens here. He tries to convince Frank to put on these glasses. And the longest fight in cinema history ensues. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Frank comes trying to give him some money saying, here's a week's pay, but I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, play, play a little clip of the, the beginning of this fight interaction. Just so you know, the first punch is thrown by Frank. The second punch is thrown by Nada. And then after this, there's about 375 more punches. You better find yourself someplace to hide and keep praying nobody ever finds you. Try these off. Look, you crazy mother. Put these on. Hey, stay away from me. I'm telling you, you dumb son of a bitch. I'm trying to save you and your family's life. You couldn't even save your own. <laughs> I'm giving you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, I interjected about uh, the sound of the, or tried to interject with the about the sound of the of the punch, which, uh, like when I heard it isolated, definitely did not sound like a punch. One cool fact I learned, like when somebody breaks somebody else's, I don't know, head or like uh, breaks their head, like um, I don't know, <laughs> breaks their <laughs> <laughs> breaks their skull, uh, they uh, yeah. Uh, they try to break uh, celery to um, oh, as a sound wow. effect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that tangent. Go on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just wanted to <laughs> I just wanted to touch upon the last uh, one liner too because I thought that was pretty uh, epic. I'm going to make you eat this trash can. Because, <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know, they're fighting in an alley with a bunch of trash cans right. all around. Right. And so they fight for literally, I think the fight's like six yeah, minutes that, or I something like that. Yeah, I definitely checked that out and it was, yeah, exactly six minutes. And, um, you know, writing a script right now, that means he devoted six pages <laughs> to, <laughs> to writing a fight. Um, I mean, maybe he just wrote like, and they fight for a long time. I um, read about this. He wrote Fight Continues for that many pages. Wow, really? And then later on, people asked him, like, did you ever think about cutting that down or editing it? And he said, fuck no. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, I, You know, I mean, how how did you react to it? Like, how did you find it? Did you find it to, like, hit you in any certain way, the fight? Uh, well, after I found out that he was a professional wrestler, I was like, oh, so that explains that fight scene. Totally. Yeah, but uh, it seemed... Like at the halfway point, I was like, "Okay, this is taking too long. What's going on?" 
<laughs> and it started dragging out of, on my suspension of disbelief about like he's just you know his his fuck you to the other guy does not like motivate this much fighting like i would just put on the fucking glasses like what could go mm-hmm. wrong uh, but right. anyway yeah yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you got to keep in mind that, like, you know, even to Frank, this is a murderer. This is a guy that, like, yeah, I think he kind of wants to help out, but he also wants nothing to do with him. Like, yeah. he, is, he literally says, stay away from me and my family. So I right. think right. to have this, someone also urged to put on glasses, you're like, what are you talking about? No, get away from me. Yeah, you crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and I don't think, th- I think the fight is supposed to be comical. I don't think it's supposed to be taken seriously. Really? Yes. I don't feel like the tone of the movie had, like, r- room for comedy. But. Really? Uh, yeah. Why, how did you take it as comedy? I mean, of course it was Should- like, I was laughing, but like, I don't think I was supposed to. I think you're supposed to laugh. Oh. Huh. Yeah. I think you're supposed to laugh. And. I don't know if Carpenter himself ever said this was supposed to be a comic fight, but uh, Aronofsky, Darren Ooh. Aronofsky, who uh, wrote The Wrestler, yeah. he said that this scene inspired him to write a scene in The Wrestler, and he took it as satire. He took it as kind of a a spoof scene on fighting. Interesting. Um, I and, you know, it's just so ridiculous, right? Like right. the fact that it just keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, thought it to mean or took it to mean that uh you know it's this hard to like wake somebody up from their <laughs> consumerism and shit you know <laughs> yeah i you know i mean this is about the time in the movie too where like the whole th- social commentary thing just kind of goes away and it just becomes a dumb action movie too right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because yeah. you know it sets you up to kind of think that this is like going to be a thing that's explored potentially thoroughly you know, we're immersed in this world where the the truth is everywhere, and as soon as you have the sunglasses, you can see it. But then, it just becomes about like trying to find these aliens and killing them, really. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, and there were just a whole when you said when you said dumb uh, action movie, I just thought of like all the scenes with the ridiculous gun fights and like just no concept of ballistics or how people die with guns it seems oh like. yeah right yeah, there's one scene especially where Nada's holding a machine gun in a way that i don't think anyone ever would it's like one-handed <laughs> and he's like smiling <laughs> he's like pointing it in the general direction of somebody else pulling the trigger totally yeah. totally kind of just swinging it around like it's a stick right and like the aliens just kind of present themselves first and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's, he's also like a you know we don't have any backstory with them but he's apparently a very very trained gunsmith oh. or not a gunsmith but a right. shooter yeah 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 but yeah we don't get any sort of that backstory i mean we don't get a name with this dude right it kind of goes into ridiculous land or ridiculous action movie land from there it really really does yep and so I don't know. I mean, we can talk about every beat of this movie. I don't think that's really necessary. <laughs> Essentially, the most important thing is that they meet Holly again. Yes. At, and yeah. where do they meet Holly again for the first time? Uh, where does Nada meet Holly again? So they, uh, after Frank wakes up, so to speak, they go to a CD hotel to regroup, I would imagine. And there's mm-hmm. an argument that ensues that goes like this. How long have they been there? Who knows? What are they? Where did they come from? 
Well, they ain't from Cleveland. Look, man, I don't need that kind of shit. What are we gonna do? <laughs> We're gonna wait. Wait, wait for what? You know, that really answers my fucking question. Well, when you get some kind of master plan, you let me know, huh? <laughs> so... <laughs> from there, uh, I think Gilbert shows up and tells him about a meeting uh, yeah. of every uh, awake person. I almost said woke right. person. Um, uh, I mean, that, that's where woke comes from, I guess, right? You're finally awake. Right, right. And so, yeah, that's where they uh, see uh, Holly again. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we find out that she's actually a good guy or a good a good woman, right? A good uh, like a good person. A you know? person. She's on. She put yeah. on the glasses that got uh, knocked over or knocked out. Exactly. At her house. Exactly because he, he left the glasses there. Yep. Yeah, we had a shot yep. at some point that reminded us the glasses are here. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that's why you had to go in the alley and get the other glasses from that box. Find the box that he stashed exactly. away. Uh, was it when he found the box that? The fight with Frank show started. Yeah, it was right after you got dumped out of the garbage truck. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like instantly, right you know, movie magic. Just okay, that happened, and then Frank comes. Right. Right. Yeah, and then the the uh, this meeting is also raided. There's lots of fighting, lots of shooting. Um, we see people probably get killed. <laughs> Probably. This is... <laughs> yeah, who knows? I don't know why I said it like right. that. Yes, definitely get killed. Um, but we also learn that they get a wristwatch at this point. So this is the same watch that um, allows the aliens to call in any potential suspects they have and also to disappear. Right. Some guy at the bank uh, earlier in the movie disappeared right. after yeah, after he, was, he felt threatened by Nara. Yeah. And so they're actually cornered in the alley, and they don't know what to do. And I think this just happens on accident, but Frank somehow opens up a portal. Right. That's, and the portal makes sure to tell you, I'm only open for 10 seconds, <laughs> and then there's a countdown. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a little struck by like how determined Nada was to go into that. And Frank was like, fuck, we don't know like where this goes. Why should we go in there? And yeah. he just was like, do it. And I was, I found that curious. And if there are any racial, <laughs> God, you know, how can you not talk about race? Any racial overtones there that uh, were meant or were uh, of the time or something? Do well, we... you know, there there was something happening in the very beginning. Do you remember the conver- one of the first conversations they had? Um, vaguely. I'm not sure if what I'm thinking of is what you're thinking of. So you well you okay ahead. so yeah so Frank Frank is is black and uh, Nada is white and so they have a conversation right after Nada starts working at this construction site and essentially Frank was talking about how disillusioned he is and like how how you know impossible it is to get anywhere uh, whereas Nada was like no I still believe in the American yeah, dream like right, this is gonna work out right right exactly good good yeah so I think that was a commentary on race for sure yeah but probably so, not the the just the lead telling his supporting actor to do something. Maybe that's what uh, all that was there <laughs> in the scene that Maybe. we were talking about. But, yeah. But he just, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Frank's position of like, why should we go into this random hole that just <laughs> opened up? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, that seemed more reasonable to me than what happened in the movie with Nara sure. being like, you gotta go and then following through <laughs> with that. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, rational is kind of out of out of you know. Right, it's it's not really right. a thing you have to take into account anymore. Yeah. Not as a guy that like went from talking to just only yelling pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, as you heard with the argument with Frank that we just played, he goes from talking to yelling in like a in like one line pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. So yeah, he's he's a dude that gets pretty angry really quickly and uh, wants to show it. But when they actually go down this portal, they find like a secret bunker area. And so in this bunker, we learn that there are a lot of uh, kind of business class donors that are in cahoots with the aliens. Right. Did you recognize the dude that they meet that kind of takes them on a tour? I didn't, but he says that we have met before. So I'm thinking maybe he was the, was he the boss at the construction site? That's what I thought at first. No, he he was one of the drifters, but I oh. don't remember him really being focused on too much. So I yeah. think I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention enough, or if the movie did kind of a bad job of making uh, yeah, emphasizing him, him early on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's who he was. He's one of the drifters, but you know he's all dressed up in a stereotypical like bow tie tuxedo drinking champagne right and it's actually a quote he says at one point because the guys are like hey why are you helping these aliens like these guys are obviously not on your side they want us to just be docile this referred that they are treating humans like cattle yeah and you know earth is just kind of a planet that they can exploit and then they're going to eventually move on so uh frank frank and Nada are wondering why this drifter is changing sides and then he says something along the lines of hey man everyone sells out yeah. this is just what we do um oh shit now i lost the actual quote again oh no <laughs> oh yeah he says where's the threat in that we sell out every day huh the threat okay, that was yeah where, where where's the threat in like helping them out we sell out every day gotcha. where's what's the what's the threat in selling out you know gotta take what's yours you gotta take right. uh, advantage of what you can yeah he talks about the good life in terms of money and doesn't everyone, everybody want that, he asks. For sure. And, you know, especially coming from someone that we are assuming did not have much money beforehand because they're living in a shantytown. Right. Um, so right. they realize, too, that the Cable 54 News Network is actually, <laughs> it's it's uh, headquartered down here. <laughs> and so they want to get on it. They want to actually see the news set. And then right about this time is when suspicions arise and they start just blasting all the aliens away, including the drifter. That was helping them. And the whole goal at this point is to get on the roof and also to find Holly. So how does the movie, (laughs) the climactic end go? (laughs) Um, There was one thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, please. At one point, he just yells, Holly! (laughs) 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 And it's completely random. Like, I don't think there is any Holly in the scene to be seen. He just yells it like, Remember, everyone, there's also a Holly that we're after. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, they uh, he, one way or the other, he ends up on the roof. Um, and before that, we see Holly uh, point the gun at uh, Frank's head. And we are left to assume that she kills him. Um, right. And so now Holly is uh, no longer the good person we thought, but right. actually probably a bad person. Right. And uh, Nara is uh, about to blow away the transmitter of who knows what um, that, you know, is controlling everybody. And he asks Holly if uh, he if she and Frank are clear. And uh, she's like, I'm clear. 
choppers come down. So right. choppers are saying, step away. You have 10 seconds or else we're going to open fire on you. Do not touch the satellite. Do not touch the transmitter. Yeah. And then, and he, then he shoots He says, Holly? fuck it. He sh- does he shoot He does Holly? shoot Holly. And then okay. he blows up the dish. Yes. And yep. then the chopper He definitely him? shoots Holly. Uh, he's shooting at the chopper and then the chopper shoots him. And then as he lays dying, he gives the chopper the middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so it is somewhat established that uh, this transmitter is the thing that's actually controlling, you know, it's it's masking the ability of people to see the aliens for what they are, uh, both on TV that's right. and in real life. Yeah, right. And so as soon as this transmitter goes away, we see a very short montage, actually, right. of people realizing that there are aliens around them. Uh, do you want to talk about some of these things we learn? Or some of the scenes oh, we see. The, <laughs> the, they end on really curious one. We have like gratuitous nudity yes. of this lady yeah. who's having sex with a uh, an alien or ghoul. Yeah. And I think that's the last thing we see. <laughs> She's like, the, the ghoul is like, what's wrong? And I don't know what she says or if she even says anything. Does she say something? Um, yeah, I don't think she does. So she's like watching TV and then the newscaster becomes an alien and kind of just looks at the TV screen in shock yeah. because I think that they're like, they're seeing themselves on a monitor and realizing that, you know, they've been exposed. Right. And then she stops and looks down and maybe she screams or maybe kind of like gasps and he's like, Hey, what's wrong, baby? And then that's <laughs> literally the last thing you see. Huh. <laughs> Yeah. There's a guy yeah. at a bar too. There's a ghoul at yeah, a bar. There's a guy at a bar, yeah. What else did you see? Anything? I was I was kind of expecting, you know, a falling action bit where like people rise up and, you know, no. kill all the aliens. We didn't get that. I mean, literally this montage was maybe like 30 seconds to a minute long. It was super right. short. We probably, I mean, I only thought, I only can think of two as well. I'm only thinking about like at the bar. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of people watching TV at the bar and they realize that the person on TV becomes an alien. Then they realize that one of the patrons is an alien right, as well. Right. And then the scene uh, with, the, with the woman. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. So yeah, there's... <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yep. It was um, really out of nowhere, the... Super out of nowhere, very very random. Like one of the most random, you know, last scenes in a movie that I can remember in recent time. Yeah. You know, as we have done in the past, let's uh, let's let's get your rating first, and then I'll talk about kind of you know my thoughts and the thoughts of like the culture at large, I guess. Yeah. God, my rating, I, I can't be free <laughs> of this prejudgment I have against, <laughs> against the non-subtle. Um, criticism of culture that it gives um so with that in mind i'm going to give it a star and a half a star and a half out of five yeah damn that's the lowest we've had so far yeah wow okay and and you don't like the movie because of the the kind of half-assed social commentary it wasn't half-assed it was just way too in your face and yeah um and I think that the part of it that I am saying that that this may be clouding my judgment or informing it um, is that I disagree with that message. Like I feel like it it promotes a wholesale rejection of the things or the culture around us, um, and that's what turns into um, these 
like nuts kind of philosophies where people just kind of effectively drop out of reality. Yeah, one thought I had was that, you know, the whole premise of this movie is that a guy knows the truth because he finds these sunglasses. But we now live <laughs> in a society where, you know, 50 million motherfuckers think they have the sunglasses. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that and that's the problem because <laughs> no one really does. Right. And that does create uh, violence, real world violence and just... Right a skewed outlook on reality that is uh, affecting us in ways that are already pretty disturbing and right. uh, don't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, it it seems like people are just so much more fond of crazy theories than the simple than accepting rather than accepting the the simple fact that we are kind of all these different perspectives on the same reality and we're just walking through the dark together and sure that's why things line up as strangely and randomly as they are not because of some um you know underlying thing that unites everything gets against us but you know at the same time there is so this is very very much a critique in reagan very anti-reaganomics you know the trickled down economic theory and uh, yeah. So so at the time this was seen as a very leftist movie. Mm. I think it's even I found it on a list of like the 25 movies of Hollywood left and things like that, you know, mm. like 25 influential movies of the Hollywood left. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to see it as leftist these days. It it seems um at best libertarian <laughs> and at worst like QAnon. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> In a lot of the ways. Yeah. Uh but with that said, you know, there. I don't really know if I would call it. I mean, the conspiracy to me is just there is rich versus poor. And yeah. we do live in a society right now where there are the Bezoses and the Musks, the Elon Musks, that are just becoming yeah. these hyper, extremely, you know, super villainy, wealthy uh, hyper capitalists. Yeah. While, um, you know, the middle class is shrinking and more and more people are struggling and you know i'm faced with this right now but the housing prices are just astronomical right, right, right. now you know they're aimed much more at a class that uh, just is starting to not exist at least not exist in very strong numbers anymore right i think you're speaking to the thing we talked about first that the um the kind of situation that makes you receptive to uh, to crazy theories uh but to yeah. go back to my point earlier, um, you know those Elon Musk's and Bezos and you know these these people—they're humans just like us walking through uh, reality, and they don't have some kind of way to see everything at once. And they're just—they're like, oh, I got rich, awesome. I don't think they're—they're um, getting together and forming. A culture that's materialistic or you know revolves around obeying you know uh, obeying obedient masses or any such thing um so yeah that's but yet but yet their wealth comes from exploitation and it comes from exploitation of multiple people i mean you know workers at amazon are not paid anywhere near what they should be and they have terrible conditions a ton of them suffered greatly during COVID, the the pandemic um, and we just find 
they're not getting wealthy because they're being good people. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Mm. <laughs> they're, they're not they're not benefiting the world in any material way. Well, but I don't they, know. I enjoy Amazon Prime. Like things showing up a couple of days after I make a couple of clicks. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd enjoy it a lot more if I felt that uh, it wasn't run by a guy that was worth you know a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, like, but what would you do if you were in his shoes? I don't think I could ever get there. I think there's such a level of ethics that you have to ignore that you, I don't think I could ever get to the point where I would be anywhere near a billionaire. Mm. I mean, like, becoming a millionaire seems like a far-fetched dream to me at this point. <laughs> uh, okay. But uh, so you think there are morals and ethics that you, by necessity, have to forego to be that rich? Fuck yeah. To be that rich? Absolutely. What kinds of things? rules mm, well now we're now we're getting into discussions that i don't know if i want to be recorded sure, saying or sure. not <laughs> just yeah <laughs> uh, well I'm, I'm just i'm i just want to hear them i don't think i'll like come back with any sort of comeback <laughs> you can say this and then we can move on well you know f- first and foremost it's wages and it's also monopolizing the market so it comes by amazon is thriving because it is directly kind of i mean it's i mean indirectly directly but because of amazon there are less stores in Mm. the actual physical world and that's something that we're gonna really 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 notice uh pretty soon here i think where we're gonna have a hard time buying things in person and that amazon's just gonna be the way it is Mm. yeah yeah there's also a lot of waste that comes with that you know getting a package sent there's just tons of waste there's also lots of waste when you go to a big box store of course but just you know the amount of packaging you need, the amount of plastic you need, just the cardboard box itself. Whether or not you can recycle it is up for debate. But yeah. uh, and then the the wages. You know, Amazon is notorious for paying their workers not super well, mm. despite the fact that uh, it's a company worth uh, an astronomical amount of money. Right. I don't. I think Musk is a little better than that, just by the nature of what he's doing yeah. with actually you know engineering instead of you know having people literally ship and pack boxes. Right. But but yeah, still there is a there's a wage discrepancy for sure, and I think that comes from direct exploitation, and a direct uh, influence on the government too, to some extent. You right, know, right. lobbyism is a thing. Right, lobbyism is a huge thing, and that's probably part of the reason why we have fossil fuels that are still directing how we get energy for yeah, the most part. Yeah. Okay. And why we don't have universal health care <laughs> or anything <laughs> of the sort. So, right. yeah, there is a conspiracy, but it's very, very simple. And that's just that the powerful are making, have been making it hard for a long time for average people to succeed because there's just so many barriers. And so you have insurance companies that are so powerful, they can't really be stopped. The gun lobbyists are so powerful, they can't really be stopped. And um, these mega mega corporations that are legitly the size of some governments right. that cannot really be stopped and that have influences in ways that uh we probably still have not completely appreciated at this point now that said i know that that is getting to the point of sounding like an actual conspiracy um <laughs> <laughs> and and so here's the difference because the conspiracy theorists what they believe is not at all rooted in truth. It's not at all rooted in reality. Right. So the whole QAnon thing 
that was on you know the whole premise of that is that 45 was kind of a deity and (laughs) (laughs) he was there to kind of punish all of those that came before him and that were doing wrong you know kind of rooting out corruption yeah and in various ways and you know especially yeah yeah so the democrats uh especially the powerful democrats are all child molesters, child harvesters. You know, they're taking the blood from children to stay young forever. And uh, yeah, just really crazy far-fetched stuff. I could not help but think about uh, Pizzagate when we see uh, Nada go into the bank for the first time and just start blowing people away. What's Pizzagate? Pizzagate was, there was uh, through QAnon, I believe, or maybe it was just pre-QAnon. Maybe it was a proto-QAnon thing. But there was this... uh, uh, ping pong pizza i think or uh oh man i can't remember the exact name but like there was ping this pizza, pizza place yeah i think it's called something like that but yeah so this rumor started that that there's a secret child uh sex ring that was in the basement of that uh pizza shop and so a guy came in there with a weapon and thankfully no one actually did get hurt oh. but he came in there with on with the you know, intention of like single-handedly stopping this vigilante style oh wow yeah. Hmm. Why is that easier to believe than reality? I will never know. You know, I think it's just really, really, really difficult for people to um, admit when they're wrong. And so especially <laughs> the polarization of the country and the world of some extent is just at the point where I think either side is going to have a hard time admitting when they're at fault, admitting when like something is totally off the rails. Yeah. And I think that's just a human thing. You know, it's hard to admit fault. It's hard to say you're wrong. It's difficult Mm. to say that something you believed in, especially for a long time, you know, politics is kind of a new religion. And so with that, it becomes more faith-based than actual something that's realized Mm, uh, via facts and statistics. That's definitely true of yeah. And you know, you could maybe oh, argue no. that I'm I'm there Politics. to some extent as well. I mean, maybe there's not maybe there's no facts to Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos being evil sons of bitches, but I believe <laughs> that they <laughs> probably are. <laughs> yeah, since we're getting into like factual things about like their wages and whatnot, I like I, I can't argue with that. Like I don't have the facts. If you've read somewhere that they are not paid well, then I defer to you. And I also think, too, you know, seeing what the state of the world right now and having that much money and doing nothing about it, I think that alone makes you a pretty shitty person. And now, I, and then this, all, oh my God, why are we talking about this so much? But this all ties into <laughs> stocks, too. You know, I mean, your company is valued on stocks. And once your stocks start slipping, the value of your company starts going, too. And that's all based on perception. Yeah. Right? That's not based on necessarily actual worth, but yeah. just based upon of dividends. Yeah. Profit, right? right? And so this drive for absolute profit has gotten to the point where, you know, you have these people that, I mean, have you ever like sat down and done the math about how long it would take you to make even a billion dollars? Mm, no. You you wouldn't. I mean, if you were making, if you were making a million dollars a year, it would take you a thousand years. Oh. Uh, at how much a year? A million a uh, year. If I were making a million a year, it would take me 12,000 years to do what? No, no, a thousand, a thousand to become a billionaire, to become just a billionaire. Oh, I see. So I'm I'm saving a thousand dollars per month, 
No, no. <laughs> oh my god. This is our most off the rails episode yet. I thought it was going to be the tightest. Wow. Yeah. Um we can still get rid of all of this, but I'm I, I have to understand what this $1000 thing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I'm saying if you made a million dollars a year, it would take you a thousand years to become a billionaire. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And so a million dollars a year is already super crazy rich for most people. Right. Uh, so, you know, even break it down to if you made $100,000 a year, right? That's a, that's a pretty good wage for a lot of people. Yeah. What a lot of folks are making is closer to 30, 40, 50,000 a year. And it's astronomical. I mean, you just have to live... You have to live like essentially the history of human existence to become anywhere near what Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk is. There was a point I wanted to make kind of, and I think it had to do with how, like in accounting terms, how people are valued at, you know, these astronomical numbers. And I don't know if it's uh, based on just like cash laying around, you know, um, mm -hmm. So I just wanted to throw out that caveat. And it kind of, like thinking about this, reminded me of how people argue. People argue um, sentiments and half-truths they've heard and things that are based on some article people that they don't know. People argue memes these yeah. days. That's really scary, I think. Right, you know, where right. people see a, a quote-unquote fact on a meme. Exactly. And then that becomes the news they read for the day. And the news right. that they're sharing with all the people right. that are... You know, right. on Facebook or whatever, yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Um, and so I wish people were just more honest when they argued. Like, I yeah. saw this thing. Like, just say the story of how you came across this fact. And right. Maybe. Okay, okay, I read a headline. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, the criticism of this, too, is also the media. And I, 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 I could criticize the media, um, especially I could criticize certain forms of the media. Hmm. But what largely what we have not had at least until recently is outright fabrication right and i think that's probably the best argument against uh i guess my philosophical position um against the movies that we do have mm. outright fabrication we have entire channels dedicated to espousing uh, yeah. a whole other version of our reality well, think about this. We're on a podcast right now. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. We can just say whatever we want. Someone right. can listen to this and think that we're right. journalists or that we actually like have some credibility instead right. of just two right. dudes that are, you know, isolated at home and wanting to start a project. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I genuinely wonder how these people go to sleep at night. What goes into making a person who repeatedly lies for a living? Um, I mean, I think you got to put on your sunglasses, Ali. I, I sent a pair to you. Do you got them? Yeah, just put them on right now and look at some money. Oh, oh that's your God. God yeah, you. I didn't know that that's before. That's what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they think. That's how they got oh. <laughs> <laughs> But Okay, so we, you got a very scathing review and then a long discussion that may or may not be edited by the time you hear this. Right. So, uh, <laughs> I think I'll be a proponent of editing that to some, to some extent. Yeah. Um, how about Rotten Tomatoes? How do you think it did as far as, you know, the critics? Uh, poorly, I say. And poorly. Okay. Like Shoot a number out. 35. 35. Okay. And Smash, was it a hit or not? Oh, uh, God. Yes, it was. 
Okay. Okay. Um, so let's just first touch on Rotten Tomatoes before I talk about my views. It got 86%, so by oh, God. far the highest of oh, anything God. we've seen. Okay. Um, the little consensus wow. says, a politically subversive blend of horror and sci-fi, they live as an underrated genre film from John Carpenter. Huh. Yeah. Well, okay, The budget, then. the box office, it was uh, described as a minor hit. And oh. so when you look at Rotten Tomatoes too, this is something to take into account. But you know, a lot of those reviews are more recent. Oh, and so at the time it, at the time it had largely negative reviews, which were mostly criticizing its social commentary, as you are. But then it gained a cult following. Um, since then, box oh. office it got about thirteen million at the box office. That's not huge, but the budget was only four million, so it hit. Yeah. How about Legacy? Do you like see the influence of this movie being worn anywhere else? Uh, wait. Ask that question again. Do you see do you see the influences of this movie being worn anywhere else? Have you seen worn? Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's a it's a weird phrasing there. It is a weird phrase, <laughs> but okay. Do you see other media, other TV shows, other uh, movies, mm-hmm. or you know memes, um, parodies that have you know that that you think were directly influenced by this movie i don't know if directly but i wrote down the matrix uh, huh. as oh, far yeah, as sure. influences i wrote 1984 um, yeah and uh rage against the machine seems <laughs> <laughs> wake up right exactly exactly but i don't think any of those had any direct link to this movie Unless you tell me otherwise. Sure, yeah. I I don't know about any direct links there, but maybe you've seen street art, Andre the Giant Obey. Have you seen that? No. What? Oh, my God. I wish I wrote down the artist. I just figured you'd know who he was. Um, but, yeah, there's a f- semi-famous street artist. I, I don't know if his name is recognized because I don't know his name, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people are probably mad at me that I don't know the name right now. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's, it's essentially Obey, Britain in big letters, just like they are in the movie. And Andre the Giant is often attached to it. So it's a stencil with like Andre the Giant with the words obey underneath it or something like that. Oh, the movie was accused, and I don't know when this was happening, but it was accused of being a neo-Nazi and white supremacist view, complaining that... Yeah, claiming that the film is an allegory for Jewish control of the world. Um, Carpenter <laughs> definitely refuted that. He said, no, not at all. This is about <laughs> yuppies and unrestrained capitalism. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. And uh, the line that I searched so hard to find uh, that the drifter said, that line, where's the thread in that? We all sell out every day. That was mm. actually said by Universal Executives. So that's one of the reasons oh. I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Interesting to like, the director about this movie? To Carpenter. Yeah. No kidding. That's clever. Yeah. And then we touched upon the music, the repetitive music. Did you catch who wrote that? No. John Carpenter. Oh, figures. Yeah. Yep. With a dude named Alan uh, Howarth. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Okay. Uh, who also did the Halloween theme. That's a pretty iconic theme that Carpenter oh. and him also worked on. And then he's... Uh, yeah, so he's known as much as for being a well, not maybe maybe not as much for being a director as a, as a musician, but a lot of his movies do feature uh, some of his music, which uh, tends to be simple 
and repetitive, <laughs> but also kind of in some way iconic. I mean, the Halloween theme is certainly iconic, if you can imagine what that sounds like. No. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's one of the ones we need to find. Right. We need to see. I need to see yeah. Halloween, probably. Yeah. Oh, I didn't talk about my rating of the movie. Oh, right. I don't know if it's important or not. Of course it is. Oh, I mean, it's weird because some of these things, I, you know, I just think about the imagery of like him putting on the sunglasses and walking down the street and like seeing all those signs. Like that's that seems to me like a pretty... A pretty like uh, a pretty iconic scene of cinema in some mm. ways, and I'm glad it exists. The movie as a whole is goofy and campy. <laughs> I think to a large extent that is somewhat intentional. Yeah, I you, I, you don't, know, I you, disagree, but go ahead. You disagree, yeah, you yeah. disagree, and I guess this is the big debate. I mean. But, you know, even Aronofsky saw the fight scene as a spoof. Yeah. And I think that there's some things there that, I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty fun movie to watch, huh. despite its goofiness. Yeah, I found and, it dark and pessimistic and mm, dull. Well, it's certainly that. It's certainly that. But then, you know, the dark and pessimism, I feel like that's the first act. And then the second act is almost like Rambo. Hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, there's kind of a Rambo-esque thing going right. on in the first place, too, because this drifter comes to town, and then he has to, like, just kick everyone's yeah. ass. But you have to kind of buy the first act for the rest of it to hold up, and since that didn't happen for me, it was, yeah. You do, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm i definitely leaning higher than a star and a half. <laughs> in some ways, I want to give it more than three stars, but I'm not going to, because that's crazy. So I'm just going to... <laughs> Why is that crazy? Because <laughs> it doesn't deserve it, you know? Okay. It, 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 yeah, I mean, I think there was potential, and especially at the time, these ideas were not will-trodden. These were not tired ideas. Mm. These were not sto you know stoner college dorm room ideas. Uh. These were actually like... I mean, they probably were, but, you know, the, it wasn't represented in media in the same way that we're seeing it these days. Gotcha. So I think it's a movie that you kind of have to... Like all these movies take yourself back to that time a little bit and just kind of f imagine what came before, imagine what came after. And so the influence of this movie, I think, is greater than we can imagine. And uh, mm. I actually just came across a bunch of uh, memes, videos, parody videos of this recently. They're about COVID-19. What angle do you think they took? COVID is uh, like a hoax and that... Totally. Yeah. Yeah, the one video I watched, it was uh, apparently set in the UK because there was a billboard saying like, oh, um, you know, save the NHS, the National Health uh, Services, you know, their, their, their universal medical care. Like, be healthy, be safe, but think about the NHS. And then when he puts on the glasses, it said, live in fear. Oh. Yeah, I think something about that with a mask too, like, you know, mask up. And then that was something like obey <laughs> right right right. yeah so of course this movie these days feels much more right-wing than left-wing but at the time it was uh seen as a left yeah, left-wing movie yeah. and uh, kind of uh you know notable for its, its leftist politics right. but I, I wonder i wonder how john carpenter feels about it now i wonder if, how he feels about it kind of being that's a very good you know good question yeah i should we could yeah. track him down we we should track him down and have him on this podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> show, him, show him this episode and try and get him to get anywhere near this. Right. 
all right well hey thanks thanks for listening to this one um i think in the future we will get even more political yeah (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the politics podcast right (laughs) Uh, and yeah um so goodbye and thanks to everyone yeah goodbye guys thanks (laughs) 